Suffering only happens when you have a problem with reality. That's when you suffer, when you don't accept the fact that this is what's happening to you, that this is the reality now. It's not what you planned for, it's not what you hoped for, it certainly wasn't in your control, but yet you're the one suffering the consequences uh, of this whole situation. So to Alan's point, rather, I would echo what he said and say it is about being rational, but the precursor to that is accepting reality for what it is and surrendering to it fully. Because until you do that, you're not going to be logical. You're going to be irrational. You're going to be reactive as opposed to responsive. And those are very different things. And so you need, it's like uh, he who controls his state while all others are losing theirs will win. Hi there, guys. Welcome back to the third installment of the Getting Down with Brown format of the Matt Brown Show. Today, we are joined by none other than Alon Reyes. He is the CEO of RaceCorp. He's been on the show several times now, probably more than any other guest now that I think about it. And that's for a very good reason. Out of everybody I have in my network, I believe that Alon is more passionate about business than anybody else. And because of that, he thinks about business more than the average guy the average entrepreneur man or woman thinking about business every single day he thinks about it more deeply more insightfully than anybody else that i know and that is why i've been asked him to come back on the show today so we were inundated with uh, a lot of questions from social media we play a few voice notes uh, pay careful attention to an amazing question from craig collins he is the ceo of granite software I'm not going to say anything more than that, uh, but it is about youth gaming uh, and then entrepreneurship. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, so without further ado, guys, let's get on with the show. God, <laughs> we got hijacked here. We got hijacked here. Uh, Race Corp's team shared the Zoom link. <laughs> so we had a whole bunch of people on the Zoom link, but uh, we are live now uh, on Facebook Matt, the Matt Brown Show, uh, Razecorp's team, Maverick, please feel free to share the, the live broadcasting link. We are all over the internet today, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, uh, you'll be able to find us uh, everywhere. Uh, today, uh, our esteemed colleague, guest, and panel expert, of which there is only one, uh, is <laughs> the, only, the one and only Alan Rez. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Uh, you're sporting a very nice beanie there. I love, I love the color. Oh, thank you. I um, it's really not my personal brand vibe, but you know, it is winter, so I figured I'd yeah. innovate. <laughs> Give all those viewers out there something else to chew on. You know what I mean? Um, cool. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, scaling businesses in the new world. Um, Elon has been sharing with me over the last few weeks. Um, some really cool, insightful stuff, uh, which I'm going to bring up on screen here quickly. Uh, it's the stuff here you'll see. It's basically lockdown advice. And I think, how, how many articles are here, Alan? Is it 12? Uh, 13. 13. 13 articles. So I yeah. highly uh, recommend, Maverick, if you can post this link up. In fact, you know what? I'll put this out on the chat uh, on Facebook. Uh, check out these articles, guys. Check out these articles. Okay, cool. Um, so this is the Getting Down with Brown version. So we're going to be making this all about the audience today. Uh, so this is where we're going to be playing some voice notes uh, and things like that. 
and um, really making this as interactive and, and awesome as possible. Uh, also, some other stuff to say here is that Alan Reyes and myself are contributing authors to this here book. Uh, the book, apparently, every business owner must read. There's uh, 46 other contributing authors. Um, one fun fact to know is that... Um, this book was actually written for businesses try, who need to survive this whole COVID-19 context. Um, so I highly recommend that you go and pick up a copy. But if you are interested in getting a free copy, you just need to answer some very cool que- or basically send us some cool questions and I'll get Alan Reyes to pick the, the winner. How about that, Alan? Cool. Okay, cool. So let's... Um, uh, Alan, do you want to give us uh, the the headline about who you are, just for those of us who potentially don't know uh, who you who you are, what you're about, and the incredible work that you're doing here in Africa? Thanks, Matt. Uh, often when I'm on your show, I feel like your punching bag. That's how I feel. But uh, <laughs> but when I'm not being your punching bag, um, I, um, I I I run a business called RaceCorp, which is. Um, we call ourselves a Prosperator, uh, which is a business incubator where we support uh, uh, small businesses uh, and some medium-sized businesses. And we do that uh, by, first of all, selecting them. Then we then we put them into programs or provide equity in our partner elite uh, program. So anything to do with supporting small business, and we've been doing it for 20 years. And it's um, it's probably the best work in the world. I agree. I agree. I think what's really powerful about uh, your story, Alan, is that you really do love what you do. I don't think I know anyone who's more passionate about business than than you are. So I'm really excited to to get into this particular edition of uh, the Matt Brown Show. Um, so as I said in the beginning, we've got some voice notes here. So I'm going to take them one at a time, Alan, and then uh, let's have a go at it. All right, here we go. Yeah. Hold on. Wait one second. One second. Um, Alan, do you want to just walk us through while I'm bringing up the audio files here? Do you want me to, or do you want to bring us up to speed with what this 13 series uh, articles is covering? Why you wrote it? What are the kind of, what messages you want to get across to our audience today? Okay, Matt, I'll tap dance while you organize that thing. Okay. <laughs> See, now I'm your punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so what you know? As I said earlier, we're involved with a whole bunch of uh, uh, businesses, and we've got an equity side, which is partner elite, where we take uh, equity in businesses and help to grow them. And I work with um, the CEOs of those businesses. So when COVID, COVID started, break or lockdown happened, and, and the whole story was unfolding, and uh, it was uh, you know incredibly muddy and murky out there in terms of what was happening, what was going to be next. I started meeting with the CEOs in a forum and started creating a structure for them to think through uh, the the lockdown and through COVID and through what would happen after COVID. And so so I started writing that and then I thought, what if I'm writing for them, I might as well write for for everyone. And so I started uh, producing a series of articles, which is on our website, and it's been uh, far afield as it's been published in Europe and and uh, various other places on the African continent. So uh, it seems to have um, sort of uh, struck a chord, um, and it was uh, very cathartic for me in terms of uh, writing that because it forced me also to think structurally about how to think. Mm. And I'm hoping I have tapped up danced enough, Matt, 
and you're ready. I am ready now. Yeah, that was good tap dancing though. Well done. Thank you. Thank well you. done. Really impressive. Great work. <laughs> okay, here we go. This one's from uh, Brett. Hey, Matt. Brett, you're from Trabal. My question is regarding taking software as a service to market. In the day and age that we are in now, where you're able to target um, exact demographics for your marketing campaigns um, to get better return on investment, what would your recommendation be to be able to identify your target market before launching a campaign? Alan, do you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, well, I, I think I think that uh, the question um, is perhaps um, a step too far in the sense that I think you should identify your target market before you even develop the product. Mm. So, you first you develop the, the, first uh, you know what the product is going to who who it's for, because you cannot uh, you cannot. Uh, um, produce a product if you don't have a, a target market or a need or a want that you are are trying to uh, satisfy. So I would say first do that, and then that then tells you who your target market is. Yeah. Why do you think people do that, though? Because I find that it's it's not uncommon for, um, for entrepreneurs to actually build products without clearly thinking about who their customer is. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Because you know, um, there's an author called uh, Michael E. Gerber who wrote a book called The E Myth Revisited, and um, he speaks about this thing called an entrepreneurial spasm. So, one, so, so I'm paraphrasing here, but but what what, what the, the story goes like this: that you you you're doing some work at at your office, and then you see uh, you go into your boss's office, and you see how much money he's. Uh, is charging for, for your work, and you say, "Well, I just the the bastard. He he's making all the money, and I'm not." And so at that weekend at a bri, somebody says, "What do you do?" And you say, "You do the, you do whatever you do," and they say, "But I can do that for you." And so you you then decide what you're going to resign. So Monday you come in to resign, and uh, you go to your. Uh, you, your boss says, but why? And then you give him some reason and off now you've got your first client and you're going to go and, and st- start your business. Yeah, and then we've been hijacked. We've been hijacked. Hold on. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I found them out to be more informative than the other guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see that live feedback? 
live feedback. It's too late now. We're going to have this the whole show. But carry on, uh, Elon. Carry on. Can you not? Can you not? Can you not mute that individual? I have removed them from the room. Yeah, so it's fine. You okay. go ahead. You go ahead. Thanks so much. So, so now you you start this business, and then you 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 go now, and you produce the work, and then the clients you go to the client, and say, "Will you pay me?" And the client says, "Well, you need to give me an invoice." So then you go, uh, okay, and then off you go to CNA and you get an invoice book and then you produce an invoice and then they say, can you pay me now? And they say, no, we pay 30 days from, from invoice. If you're lucky, if you're unlucky, they'll say, we pay 30 days from statement. And then you go, what's the statement? And then anyway, so you eventually get paid and then the following month there might be work and the following month there might not be work. And when you look at the, the research, most businesses start from the spasm. In other words, they're not thought through uh, enough business. Uh, many businesses are start, started without thinking through what I want, what, how do I get there, who's the market, is this sustainable, what I call a compelling economic right is, exist. You know, is it, do you have something to sell? And very often, and it's a simple thing, but very often you don't have something to, to, to really sell. It's the same as everyone else. Do you have the ability to sell it and constantly sell it? Most people that I come across, including many entrepreneurs, don't like to sell. They like to make the thing. They don't like to sell the thing. Mm. If you sell it, will you sell it uh, at a profit? And is there a market there that um, um, is there a market there that is sustainable? Will, will they buy once, or is there a continuous market? Is the market big enough? And very few people, as simple as the, those couple of sentences are, don't actually sit down and go through through all of that because they're in love with the idea of their product mm. because, you know, they they had a problem and they worked out how to solve the problem for themselves. Okay, cool. Let's get another question up here. Hi, Matt. Big fan of the show. Uh, Chris here. I just want to ask, as an entrepreneur, what was the biggest challenge that you had starting your first business? Um, I think it was to you. Yeah, it was. It's getting down with Brown, not getting down with Alan. <laughs> uh, no, I think the biggest challenge I had when I started my first business is probably believing in myself. Um, I think, um, I, and even now, I mean, I think, uh, Alan, I think we've spoken about this before, this idea of imposter syndrome. Uh, it's um, even even when you do find some success, you still wrestle with your idea of well, what is my value actually? Uh, where does my potential end? Have I activated it fully today? Am, am I the best that I can be? You know, uh, Is it possible to, to scale my business in this new COVID-19 world? Um, am I going to pay my, am I going to be able to pay my staff this month? You know, and these are, these problems never go away. And so I think, I mean, I wrote, I literally wrote the book about this, uh, this thing here called uh, Your Inner Game, uh, number one bestseller on Amazon. Alon, did you know about that? Um, so, <laughs> so, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> so Alon uh, is actually in this book. Um, and, uh, but really, I think it is really very internal for me and for many other entrepreneurs where, uh, yes, you have the external side of business, so product development, choosing your customer, Having a, well, I love that term that you used, Alan. Um, what did you say? A commercially something a right to exist. Compelling economic right to exist. Love that. I'm gonna write, tweet that out, steal it for myself. Thanks. Um, but you know, it's all that stuff. But then marrying with that is this idea of uncertainty because it's it's now with COVID, it's a, an accelerant. It's not necessarily a change agent. 
So everything's accelerating and it's becoming more and more uncertain, faster and faster and faster. So how you, you, you the decision making uh, that you, the decisions that you make are ultimately the things that are going to determine your degree of success or failure at the end of the day. So you need an operating system of your mind that can truly adapt and be relevant and do things like triangu- triangulation, which uh, I've spoken about with Alan before, where you're testing hypotheses around uh, the marketplace uh, because your version of the truth is inevitably not the truth. It's just your version. Um, and so if you want people to call you on your BS, uh, which is why I phone Alan uh, for advice. I'm like, I'm thinking this. What do you think? And he'll be completely objective and say, listen, here's what, I'm, here's what I think. And I'm looking for people who I respect who I believe have built far bigger businesses than me, <coughs> Elon, um, and, um, and that ultimately that I can trust to tell me what they feel is the truth. And one of the great things Elon uh, told me once, he said, you know, don't come to me for advice because I don't, the, the more I do business, the more I know I just don't know. Um, and so with all that being said, the biggest challenge I have starts, has always been myself. Because a business can only grow, it can only scale to the extent that you do. Um, Alan, do you have any comments around that? Yeah, I think everything you've said is uh, 100% valid. Um, I would also add, it was Chris, uh, Chris that asked the question, I would also add that also just, you know, just to add that pushing through. I mean, it relates to what you're saying, but especially in the first, the first few years in the beginning, or even in the first few months, there's that pushing through the, the, the you know, in the beginning you might get a, the, the, what we call a false start. You get like this false start and you go, ah, oh, it's all happening. And then like it all disappears and you go, ah, oh, I was just bullshitting myself. It's not really there. And it's about learning from that, iterating and pushing through. And most businesses, most entrepreneurs in that first, that first drop, that first lull, don't stand up again and push through. And that's why there's such a huge failure rate in, in, in entrepreneurship. There's a concept um, called the nascency period, which is right at the beginning uh, of the idea. And, and, you know, we talk about a 96% failure rate in, in over 10 years in entrepreneurship. Those are the ones that start trading. There's a 99.9% recurring uh, failure rate in, in the ones that are in nascency. They just don't get off ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you um, share your thinking around the idea of re-entry rate? Because I'm on Secrets of Scale, jeez, um, that feels like an, a years ago now with a live show series that we did. Um, the idea being of uh, when business, a business fails, the re-entry rate determines how, how often an entrepreneur re-enters the market with a new idea. In other words, they don't quit. They carry on with something else maybe. Um, and then could you compare that? There was a stat around the U.S. and South African entrepreneurs. Can you maybe give some more context around that? It's just ring, ringing a bell for me. Yeah, so the, the re-entry rate is how many times, as you say, you fail and get up again and try again and start again. South Africa, 1.1 times. In other words, you try once. And in the U.S., 3.6 times. In other words, you try three and a half times on average uh, before you give up. And why that's important, I think, is that, I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, things around there, but the, the important thing is you learn, you generally learn from your failure. So if you've got the gumption to actually stand up again, if you've got the, the, the strength and the, the courage to stand up again, I think everything in society should support you to stand up again, everything in society. And we've got structural issues in, in, in many countries. In other words, 
uh, if from from a bank, if you blacklisted, let, let's say your, your business failed, you had COVID, you were running a restaurant, you couldn't pay back, now you're blacklisted. Now the system will prevent you from getting up again. You can you can shout from the, the from the mountains that it was because of COVID. I had like I was running a successful business, I was running a restaurant, like who knew? Like, and you're a good entrepreneur, but there was an external factor that took you out. I think that that we need to be a little bit more imaginative on, around how we allow people back in, into the system. And um, I just actually uh, been writing uh, an article which is coming out soon, um, where I refer to a, a discussion with a Dr. Diane Francis, a Canadian uh, w- working in America, and her whole thing is that her belief that there's shame-based societies and, and fear-based societies. In shame-based societies, um, we shame failure. In fear-based societies, we fear failure. Um, and America is a fear-based society. Canada is a shame-based society. South Africa, ach, shame, man. We're a shame-based society. So pretty much what her belief is, the commonwealths, the countries are very much shame-based societies. So it's shameful in our local, in our families. Did you hear, Matt? You know, yeah, Matt. I'm sorry, I failed, didn't do well. You know, it's that kind of stuff where mm. people are gossiping about how the Joneses aren't doing so well. Um, it's right down to the structural place where the banks basically penalize you from coming back again. Yeah, it's um, it's a sad, sad situation. It really is in many respects. Um, mm. Let's get some more questions from the audience. Guys, keep keep those comments coming in. Uh, thank you for all of those. We will be giving away a book, this year book, to uh, a very cool, thoughtful question. Uh, here comes the next one. Hi, Matt. This is Keith from Travel Buddy. We are a boutique travel agency and tour operator operating in South Africa and Thailand. Um, the global COVID pandemic has absolutely decimated the travel industry, not just in South Africa and Thailand, but worldwide. Uh, in South Africa, for instance, they predicted up to 80% of tourism-related businesses could close as a result of all the lockdown restrictions. So my question is as follows. Um, how important is it if you do want to survive this pandemic pandemic and get out the other end um, to have a niche and how uh, secondly how important is it to protect your niche once other people cotton on to the fact please give me your advice thank you um mm, okay alan you start well keith yeah i'm actually doing a podcast um uh, for the SH, uh, the Ministry of Tourism, the I think on Wednesday, um, and it's basically to deal with issues like this. And I've had to be thinking about like what these things are. So I'm just going to maybe give you some of my early thoughts on on the matter. You know, for me, I think I don't want to be that rah rah guy. Says you can do it, you can do it. It's it is so damn hard. And and when your whole so to me, I'm an ecosystemic thinker, and so I think, a, 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 or a systemic thinker, and that implies an ecosystem. And when the ecosystem is damaged, the question is like, like, is there is there a possibility of surviving? If the ecosystem is is damaged but can repair, then you look for places within the ecosystem that you you can operate. So let me try and 
make that practical for, for you. So let, let's say let's say you, you so you've you've got a um, I know you said you've got a travel uh, a business, but if you redefine travel to, uh, to so is are, is travel restricted within a province? The answer is no, right? So so what what would be allowed to to where would you be allowed to travel and why would you be allowed to travel? And if you're traveling where in what, in what, what would be the reason for you to stay over somewhere? So if I were a BNB or a hotel and I was thinking about this to me, I would look for niches as Keith spoke about, I would look for niches within the ecosystem, but within other ecosystems that were less damaged. So let me give you an example. You're allowed to have, um, you're allowed to go to hospital. A lot of people are, have, are still having surgery that came down, that reduced, but that's starting to start up again. So there's there's all these surgeries happening. So perhaps people, there's an opportunity around, let's um, call it medical tourism, not, not facelifts and, and and boob jobs and things like that. But but I'm talking about other, other medical tourism. There's still medical tourism that might be available. So you look, you look for... You look for little niches where it was never in the ambit of your your how you were thinking, but it's still part of the ecosystem, and it's a part of another ecosystem that's still healthy. So it's almost at the nexus between your ecosystem and the other ecosystem where the opportunities will lie. Now, I don't know the specifics about all this because I'm not in the tourism space. I don't want to act as an expert, but if I intellectually were, were going to go there, I, if I were in in the space, that's where I would look for opportunity. And your question around protecting um, protecting the your, your niche, absolutely, we protect our turf, you know, wherever we can. So, you know, it's, uh, if there's one thing you don't do now is you don't go into the press and tell everyone how well you're doing uh, in your little niche. You keep that a secret for as long as possible. That would be my advice to keep. Cool. So we shouldn't put those press releases out going out tomorrow. The three of those. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I think, I yeah, niching down has been the biggest, the biggest benefit to, to us as a business. Um, when you niche, everything becomes a lot clearer. Your competition, your pricing, who your customer really is, the products, uh, the, the gaps in the market, um, and really you can become the expert at something. But to your point, none of that really matters if the whole ecosystem is going to die. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I've seen some travel uh, companies do some innovative things like, you know, if you book travel, any travel with us for the from now for the next year, any travel, we will, um, you know, uh, give you a discount or something like that. There was a way for them. They were trying to incentivize booking. So I might not take a holiday next month, but certainly, you know, end of the year maybe. Um, but, yeah, niching down is very important, uh, absolutely. Um, it's the best thing we've ever done as a company. Um, so highly recommend it. But, it, you know, as I say, if that whole thing's going to explode, travel, which, I mean, look, I don't think – one thing I'll also say about all of this, nothing is ever as bad or as good as it seems. Um, and when you think about that statement, there's a lot of power in that. It gives me hope because it gives me hope that it's not really as bad. as It's like it's really not the end of the world. 
um, even though it might seem like that at times. And then it's never as good as it seems, like the Bitcoin price running up to like $19,000. Like, you know, it's never as good as it seems. Um, and so if you think about that mantra, um, I, at least for me anyway, it gives me some perspective on, on what I'm feeling uh, as a founder. Um, cool. So let's get into the next one. Hey, Matt. It's Tristan here from Prime Self. Now, Prime Self is a cutting-edge health and wellness company where we focus on, you know, providing the everyday Joe with the tools, supplements, products, whatever it is, to become their optimal self, or how we refer to it as their Prime Self. And currently, we've got a host of different supplements which contain nootropics and adaptogens and some really, really cool cutting-edge ingredients in order to support this. Um, and yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's what it is and that's what we do. Um, our biggest challenge at the moment is obviously education and getting our brand out there and more importantly, you know, the topic of nootropics or i.e. aka cognitive enhancers out there. Um, they exist, they have these incredible benefits, but the problem is not everyone knows about them and you know, we're slowly starting to get more people jumping on the bandwagon, but if you could give us an answer as to how we can increase that rate of, you know, that rate of exposure, um, that'd be great. Anyways, thanks a lot, man. Mm, so how do you take something really complicated uh, and give it relevance like like nootropics? So I actually am a customer of, um, of Tristan's. Uh, he was on the show not too long ago. So basically, this is all around like the power of, of, of like, I'm going to really mischaracterize this, but one's called, it's like mushrooms, basically, I forget the name, lion's mane mushroom. There's like incredible brain benefits of this stuff. Um, and so I take it, a lot of my team take it. Um, there's a great product called Elevate, which I take from theirs as well, but just really, really awesome, powerful stuff. But if you're not a customer, you won't know the benefits. So I guess the, the challenge there is how do you take something that's intangible and make it tangible for an audience so again i would say with my marketing hat on it's it's really know your customer because there are many brains out there seven billion but which are the ones that really need performance enhancing mind supplements <laughs> uh, and those are high-powered corporate executives people in high pressurized jobs um and obviously this i'm now going to deliberately leave out a few people uh, a few potential customers here um but um but entrepreneurs are huge, right? Because we have to deal with so much pressure. We have to make the right decisions. We want to perform optimally as much as we can. Um, and so um, I, would, I would suggest, because also another thing around this is how do you create equity in a product without them being able to, to try it before that? So I would say look at influencer content, um, social proof, anything around use cases, scientific studies, anything new, because I think uh, I, I can only speak for myself, but I'm always looking for the edge. So I'm super competitive, right? Like hyper competitive. Like I want to build a bigger business than Elon Ray's. That's my, that's pretty much my life goal. Um, and um, <laughs> being, you can laugh now, Elon. Uh, but, um, but on a serious note, I'm hyper competitive. I'm always looking for the edge. I want to beat the competition and I will do anything pretty much pretty much anything to win. Um, and if that means exploring ways to get me to perform at a higher level, then I will do that. Um, athletes would be another uh, great way to uh, 
to, to potentially tap a market there around high performance. Um, but I think social proof is one of those things that lends themselves to the idea of category design where you can start to create demand for something that um, hasn't there is no demand currently. You have, to, you have to create that demand through category design instead of trying to compete with existing demand with vitamins and Barocca and Bioplast and all these other, you know, lesser products. Um, so, so yeah, I would think about uh, social proof and being able to paint a picture of the dream prior to use. Uh, Alan, what have you learned about marketing? What advice do you have for Tristan? Yeah, you know, uh, I just need a... Uh, to put a little asterisk that I, I don't know enough, you know, you can't, you can't, um, from a, just a, a voice note understands, but just off the information that there is, the way that I would, the way that I approach all, all marketing is trying try to get the, um, ir, like the irresistible pitch in the, in the sense that take out every piece of resistance. So understand all resistance around buying. Could it be price? Could it be, I don't know if it works. Could it be what, whatever it is and find an answer for each one of them. There's a nice little piece in there, which is called a guarantee. And guarantees are very powerful in taking away a huge amount of risk. So you say, try it. If you don't, if it doesn't work for you, I'll give you your money back. So money back guarantees are a very powerful a tool for, for new entrants into a market because it takes the risk away. Everyone wants to take uh, as much risk away. And if it's as good as, as, uh, uh, as Tristan says, says it is, then there will be all those people who will then start uh, singing singing his praises and it'll, it'll catch a light by, by itself. So uh, that's one thing, money-back guarantee. Um, and how do you design that in, in a way? Uh, I remember when we guaranteed our work, I guarantee our work, I went to my partner uh, and I said to him, um, you know, I want to offer a guarantee around our work. And he said, yeah, how much money, how much money like people pay? I said, yeah, but look how much in the lot. I put the guarantee amount, I designed the guarantee. I said, look how many clients in the last two years have ever not reached this. Mm. So I said, do the research. I said, I don't know the numbers, but do the, you the finance guy, you do the numbers. He came back and he said, zero. So I said, well, there, there it is. So let's offer that guarantee because we, we deliver. And if you deliver, then, then, then you you should be able to to uh, put in a guarantee. So I think of guarantee. The second thing I think about is distribution. Is how it's distributed. Um, you know, the, the, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. If there is a lot to learn, people like simplicity. People like to buy, push the button. There's one thing I like that. It comes in red and, and blue. That's it. And uh, to me, very often because we want to show. All the, all the things that this thing can do. But what does it do? So it's simplified, and then in your distribution your channels, looking for new distribution channels, that is the single message for that, 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 that channel. There's one thing that this thing does. I don't want to mention uh, other products here, uh, but, but um, there's one very, very successful South African pro- product that's global. It comes, it comes it's just one product one single product it's a global product um and just one message it does one thing they do it very well and they've distributed it across the across the globe it's a massive massive business one message and that to me is is about bringing simplicity through through your different distribution channels Mm. i was thinking about that today and how complicated my business is 
Um, you know, and I was like, geez, this is really hard even for me to manage to like hold all the variables every single day and all the moving parts every single day. It's super complicated. Have you heard of a product called Benny before? No. So Benny is literally a little packet like this. Um, Mabusa on Facebook, I'm going to, um, ask your question now. Um, but it's a little packet like this, right? Um, it's like yeast, you know, yeast you get by the little green yeast things. Anyway, um, it's like one rand fifty. Okay, it's sold through the informal trade distribution, and do you know how much money revenue they make a month? It's over a billion. It's what like, is it? It's it's spice for pup. They put it in ah. stews and pups and uh, and stuff like that. I don't, maybe Mabuse can even uh, tell me if he's heard about that before. Um, but it's like some astronomical uh, business. Like it's re- insane as part of Tiger Brands. Um, but that's an idea of a simple product that has just mm. got a huge customer base that it, they, they don't need to do any marketing. It markets itself. But it's through a distribution cha- different distribution channel. You don't see it. You don't see it advertised. You don't. You don't. You like. And that's what I'm saying. You've got to be quite novel in the way that you do. Your distribution channel needs to be right for 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 the product. Mm. Um, so for, for, there are many products that were let's going through normal retail where now digital is the right route. There's many. There's many product. You know, like you, you've got different routes for different products, and you've got to explore different distribution channels. Well, I love that Benny story. I'm going to look it up straight after this. Yeah, check it out. Uh, well, in fact, you know what? I'll put the link up um, for you now, Alan. I'm just going to share my screen for those guys. I've got a Google Images uh, story here. So you can see it's powdered chicken-flavored stock. Uh, I think it actually came from Mozambique originally. So it's not just South Africa, but it came from Mozambique, and it's literally tearing a new one in the market here. Um, it's very affordable, and it's super fla- uh, f- uh, flavorful. I personally have never had it, uh, but it's just an incredible. And I hear stories about this in retail specifically, which is kind of just in space. Um, there was another product by a couple of Indian entrepreneurs, right? And all they did was they made a, they took an existing package. I think it was uh, it was rice. I'm gonna or pasta or something like that or rice. I'm gonna miss. Uh, it's probably gonna definitely mess that up. But it was some product that you can readily find available. And all they did was they made it twice the size at the same cost, and that was their thing. And they put a new brand on it, had distribution, and it literally became a billion uh, rand turnover product. These two Indian entrepreneurs never done retail before. They just saw an insight for from a consumer perspective in the informal markets in Africa, which is which is why I love African entrepreneurship so much. Um, and they cleaned up. It was simply by taking something that already existed, in, uh, packaging a product based on a new insight, a consumer insight, um, and then that was that. And they cleaned up. So Mabuso asked us on Facebook here, um, I'm a micro and small business coach. Okay, cool. What do I say to small business owners who are literally panicking and cannot calm down and think through what they need to focus on during this pandemic? Hello? I wonder if it's the same guy that was, uh, it was on, definitely on him. air before. It was so. definitely him. Yeah, for sure. That's him. Uh, 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 uh. 
Uh, nice to see you again or hear you again. Okay, so so for me, I mean, the first article which I wrote was was getting to rational quickly. Is the I, I think was the is the thing that I had to do, uh, which is get my head to rational quickly. You have to go through the denial. You have to go through the the anger. You have to go through the helpless, hopeless. You have to go through the blame. You have to go through all that to get to the other side, which is which is. Um, to get to a place where you're rational. And so, so rationality is the most important thing. And, and maybe another way to, to, to think about that um, is around having an academic relationship with, your, with the, the information, not an emotional relationship with the information. So it's like what's really going on here. Let's examine the facts, not the emotions. So yes, it's bad. No, no one's arguing that. Yes, it, it doesn't look good for the future. That's also possibly true. But what do we have? What resources do we have? What uh, what uh, are, are our threats? What are, are are the opportunities? What are the big questions? Which are also this is and all these are on actually on the the series as, as well. What are the what are the big questions that you need to be asking? And I created a war room for, for myself. If you come to my office at uh, this is my office at work. I, I come to, uh, but I work every second day at home now, um, which I hate. Just by the way, I hate I hate the fact that we we have to do this, but it's a reality, and and I'm doing it. But I've got a war room at home, and I've got basically everything around me to think rationally about data. There's data in front of me, and so I make the connection in terms of what I can connect with what in order to take advantage of an opportunity that presents. So the, I think the headline of what I'm saying is is get to rational quickly, and that means have an academic relationship with the data and take the emotion out of it. Mm. Um, one of the uh, – I was trolling LinkedIn – um, and I came across uh, a coach, funnily enough, Mabuso, um, and she was sharing some advice and practical stuff around uh, how to, what mindset essentially does one need to cultivate to get through this. And one of the things that I would say is that suffering only happens when you have a problem with reality. That's when you suffer, when you don't accept the fact that this is what's happening to you. That this is the reality now. It's not what you planned for. It's not what you hoped for. It certainly wasn't in your control, but yet you're the one suffering the consequences uh, of this whole situation. So to Alan's pa- uh, point, rather, I would echo what he said and say it is about being rational, but the precursor to that is accepting reality for what it is and surrendering to it fully. Because until you do that, you're not going to be logical. You're going to be irrational. You're going to be reactive as opposed to responsive. And those are very different things. And so you need, it's like uh, he who controls his state while all others are losing theirs will win. Um, And that for me is uh, some, I was told that in 2006 when I was 26 years old and in the middle of of a failing business, one of my first ones. Um, and uh, my my coach at the time, funnily enough, a coach, uh, literally said that to me. 
Um, and that's always stuck with me because uh, it, it never really goes away, this, like, this panic. It's this uncertainty. It's like the feeling in your stomach. It kind of oscillates all the time. And when you're down, you're really down. And that's the time when you you, you got to find perspective and the perspective that you can use to execute on primarily, not the perspective of, oh, my gosh, my, road, my runway is gone. What am I going to do now? Everything's over. Woe is me. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And that's, it's so easy to be the victim we're almost taught to be the victim through schooling, through society, through social media. Um, and so you have to recognize that your condition to be the victim, it's why most people will settle for anything less than what they want, right? You always get what you settle for. Um, and so you have to recognize, oh, I'm being a victim right now. So is this really where I need to be or where I need to be operating from? Um, because if it's not, then you need to decide, okay, well, then what am I going to do? How do I break my state from being one of a victim? Where is me? Uh, the world's always happening uh, to me. Uh, and to, to a victor mindset, which is taking the experience and saying, well, hang on, the world is actually happening for me. This is happening for me, not to me. And the obstacle is the way. I've said that before uh, on the show. Um, and so Debbie Hartung here on Facebook uh, also wants to ask a question here. She says... Uh, Matt, you've said it before, and I think it bears repeating, nothing is certain and it's never been. How do we help entrepreneurs focus on scaling when they're almost paralyzed by fear right now? I don't know. Have we answered that, Alan, or do you want to take a stab at that? Um, uh, you know, to, to, to me, the, the whole thing right right now is about narrowed focus, about, about a narrowed focus, about niche, about it's very much about this kind of emotion about closing down. But also if you're doing that, which I think is important in the beginning as you sort of try and work out what's going on, to, to shut down any extraneous things, and we've seen people do that in terms of anything extraneous to that, they're not any uh, budgets that were for new things, they, were, they shut down everything, they're just focused on what they had and the conserved cash, et cetera. But there is a certain point where if you time it correctly, you can get a head start if your if your mindset is to flex and to 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 be more out there, to be the first one out of the blocks. So for, for me, the, the, the first people out of the blocks now will have a head start, especially if they're not starting from zero, if they've got the experience from running a previous from running their business before, they've, they've waited, they've waited, okay, the coast is clear, and now go. First ones out, I think, are, are, the, the, are, are the ones that are going to take advantage of what opportunities there will be. They'll be the first to be seen, they'll be first to pick up the opportunities, um, and they'll also be the first ones to stand in pits and break their, their ankles as well. And so they will identify uh, some perhaps some uh, dangers that other uh, entrepreneurs will benefit through. So, but I'm, I'm of the view that this is not about scale. This is about flex. Okay. It's about, it's a different, it's a slightly different thing. It's about not shrinking. It's enough time to shrink. There's a time now to flex. And so I would say that maybe it's not an ideal time to, to scale, but a good time to flex, which is a preamble to, to scale. What do you mean by flex, though? 
Uh, let, let me put it this way. Uh, I've just put up, I've just spent money on sign, more signage on, on the freeway. That's Why? flexing. That's flexing. No, yeah. That's flexing. So, so everyone's saying don't spend, I'm, I'm, flex, I'm flexing, putting more money in marketing, more money in, 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 in salespeople, more money in, 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 in uh, uh, certain things that are, are, going to be part of our future. I'm opening up. We normally take two to three new entrepreneurs a year into our partner elite division. I'm opening that up to five or six this year, which is going to put more burden on, on our process. So I'm flexing now. Not, not, I'm, not, I'm not shrinking. I'm not saying, okay, let's just protect what we have and I'm not moving. I did that. I did that in the beginning until I understood what was going on. Now I'm starting to get a bit more confidence in terms of what's going on. The tectonic plates are still moving. But but uh, there's more confidence in from my point of view of where certainly where I want to move uh, at this point. If I wait too long, it's going to be occupied territory. If I go if I go too soon, I'm going to burn myself uh, uh, with with all the the lava. But there is a time where it's solid enough for you to make the move, and that's when you start to make the move. So I'm at that point now. Where, um, and have been actually for a couple of weeks now. So I'm in the process of flex right now. Mm. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the confidence is not the right word I, I, it, because it's more like there is a there is a, a, a an understanding. I understand better now. Before I didn't understand what was going on. I was trying to understand all everything that was moving. Now it's moving. I don't know where it's going to go, but I can watch it. I'm tracking what's going on, the things that I think are relevant to track. And I'm in a place where I feel I've got enough of a uh, of a view of what's going on, particularly in my industry and beyond, and where I want to go. And now I, I can start to move. If I wait two three months, it's going to be too late. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. Um, one of the things, uh, but but now that I now that I hear you say it, it there's parallels here, which I, I want to join the dots um, in our context uh, from what you said. So as I said, I joked earlier, and I was like, "Oh, we just, you know, I shouldn't put those three press releases out." Um, so we we're putting a, a lot of stuff out in the media because we know that a lot of our competition has basically gone out of business. Um, and so what we're doing is we are recognizing a few things. One is that our revenues ha- are have flatlined because of COVID. Two. Our competition, as I said, has gone out of business. And three, there's a huge underserved market of software companies um, that no one is servicing. No one. Um, and well, I say no one. No one of any real substance and that really understands their pain and has IP and knowledge capital and a team and all that kind of stuff to, to kind of um, to really help solve a problem for them. So we're diversifying. And part of that diversifying uh, strategy is about, to your point, flexing. Where, like this morning, I sent you know a, a release that we published last week to all of my uh, account stakeholders at Microsoft, because I know what their strategy is, and we're positioning ourselves to own the next two quarters within that particular uh, brand. Um, and then the ecosystem that follows and basically, you know, survives off the massive monster that is Microsoft, which is now the third largest Microsoft, uh, market cap company in the world. So um, we're flexing, I think is probably f- the right word to use, Alan. Um, whether it's the right time, I'm not sure. 
um, because there are other, con- uh, you know, cost pressures. There's market pressures. There's cash flow pressures uh, that we still face because we're growing and our business is people and capital intensive. So we have to continually reinvest in, in like more and more expensive people, which is frightening. Um, but it's necessary. So, so I would say, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing is we're, we're flexing. Hi there, guys. So a quick one just to say we have launched a studio line. You can now interact live with our guests either online and or using your mobile phone. The number for the studio line is plus two seven seven nine nine double four eight six three four. The number again is zero seven nine nine double four eight six three four. Add that to your phone, guys, now, and we'll be happy to take your questions live on the Map Round Show. Um, I got some more comments here from Facebook. This one's from Boy Tomelo. Uh, he says, "Hi, Alan. I'm one of the entrepreneurs at Racecorp. Do you know him, Motabelli?" Uh, yes, yes, yes. Another name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you didn't actually give a question yet. Sorry, I was. I gave that away. I got you all excited. Okay. He says, thanks for all the support and guidance, though. Pleasure. <laughs> uh, cool. Let's take a question here. I'm Craig Collins from Cradle Technology. We're the distributors of the Granite Warehouse Management System. So one of my pet beliefs is that entrepreneurship and building a business is similar to playing resource-based strategy computer games. I believe that the requirement to balance limited resources while growing and prioritizing in a startup is a key skill. So my question is whether you and your audience believe there's a correlation between playing these games and successful entrepreneurship. If so, do you believe it's beneficial to push this type of game into our kids' learning platforms to encourage the skill set? Cool. Love that. That's legit. That is legit. I, I want to answer that if I can. Please. You know, I, um, I, I, so I think I'm in a dilemma around that because I, I, I used to be a big, I don't want to say gamer. Game is the wrong term. I used to play those strategy games um, where, you know, where you would build uh, civilizations and you would go to war and it was all, but third party looking down and you'd have this army there and you have all these resources, et cetera, as opposed to these, you know, first person shoot games. I, I get actually seasick when I, when I watch them. Um, and I've got an old computer with an old, um, with an old CD, uh, it's all old CDs with, 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 with one of those games that I pull out every couple of months just to slow, almost to reboot my brain and I, and I go into that and play that. And I also have that, that, let's call it that fantasy that the world operates in that way. The only problem with, with that, so, so, I, so what, I, what I'm saying to, to, to the, the person who asked the question um, is that I do at some level find the correlation but there's two parts that I don't that I think are negative. The one is that those are programmed with. I don't think there's limits to resources. I really don't. I don't think there's a limit to money. The only resource that we have is time that we think is limited, but we can we can express time through other people. Mm. So you know, if you spoke about Microsoft. Bill, Bill Gates, when he was a CEO, was was expressing time through 100,000 people. So he could extend time or increase the amount of time available to 
to Microsoft by adding more people's time to that, right? So, so even time is to me is is um, something that doesn't have limit if you think of, about it in that way. So all these resources in the games do have limits, and you always either you know you're either strong or fast. You can choose this or that, and the, the the one thing goes up and the other one comes down. You know, you've got always these things where you have to balance, and there's a set of there's a set of there's a finite view of the world. I don't have that view. And the, the third thing is the amount of time it takes to do that. So during this COVID time, I thought, geez, I want I, I want to go and pull out that old computer, the CD thing, and and plug it in. It still you know it has to be plugged in because the battery's been dead for about five years. Um, I want to do that, but it's going to take time away from me and I just want to focus. So I, 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 I empathize, I feel I feel the same way. There's something there, but the only problem with that logic is I don't think resources are limited. I really don't. I think that's how you hold it in your head. They either are or aren't, depending on what you think. Yeah. The other thing uh, I love about that is the idea of taking that kind of game to um, to to the youth to teach them principles around entrepreneurship. So my kid uh, always comes out like all the time. We banned him from iPad this morning, which didn't go well um, for me at all. But um, but certainly <laughs> he he wants to play these games. So he's like, Dad, can you get me this upgrade? Right? He plays this robot game where they like you know whatever. So I'm like, no, because you've only got like 20,000 or 200,000, whatever the coins are. So um, so uh, he doesn't understand the concept, right, of it costs something to do something, to upgrade your guy, to get a new paint job or a bigger weapon, it costs money. He, yeah. he understands it theoretically, but he doesn't understand the intricacies of it. Well, what do I need to do then to get the money that I need to do this, to upgrade my machine? Um, and so thanks Craig for your question. I love that question. Uh, I'm very passionate yeah, about it. It's a bloody awesome question. Um, best one we've had for a while. Um, mm. cause it's not, it makes you think, right? Like, or how would you do that? Um, and what would it look like? Like one, I've, I have, uh, concepts for two books, uh, that I still want to write. Um, and uh, the one is, uh, youth focus. So how would you teach the principles of entrepreneurship? to someone yeah. that's a teenager who doesn't care about, um, you know, Elon Reyes's first failed business. Do you understand? Like, it's a different yeah. thing. Like, that's I'm right. I'm, uh, Matt, I've been writing a book like that called Business Boy Becky for probably yes. five years now. Okay. And, uh, and you, know, you know, the hardest, the hardest part of that is to, is to bring concepts to kids because we come with our own understanding of the world, which is much broader. It's how do you bring the concept into, like your point, into your son's point, that he understands it within his world. Mm. How do you bring those metaphors, bring them to the right thing? And, and, and quite frankly, I haven't been a kid for physically for, for a long time. And so for me, it was very hard. And I have to keep going back to my kids to say, for them to read it and to say, is like, does it make sense to you? Does like, and I'll say, no, it doesn't. You know? mm. so, so what does make sense to you? And that's the, been the, hard, the translation has been the hardest part. So we, you know, to translate it into kid. Yeah. Kid speak, kid speak. Yeah. Cause they're mod to your point. The model of the world is very different. Like, 
Mm. I, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated fascinated by are nursery rhymes, because like think about this one: row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Right, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. What a load of crap! Right, seriously. And the, like the and so and I, I'm using that as the reference because I watch my kids how they latch onto the ideas associated to the words. So row, row, row your boat. What is that a vehicle for? Life. Um, um, gently down the stream. No such thing. Life's upstream. <laughs> like I don't know anyone who paddles their boat downstream and digs it unless they're actually on the Orange River. But in life, everything is upstream. It's a struggle all the time. Uh, with a couple of moments of uh, happiness, you know, dotted around between. Um, and then um, life is but a dream. It's like, well, it's not, you know. And so they, they, and we know that it's suffering and they're thinking, oh, life's a dream, you know, candy floss and strawberries. And you're going, yeah, no, but you must suffer. You must persevere. And they're like, no, 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 life's a dream, dude. It said so on the nursery rhyme channel. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So I hear you. I, I don't have the, the answer there, but I do have a question. When's your book coming out? Five years is a slog for a man that's like wrote four articles for this here book, which we'll give away to Mabusa, I think. Uh, I only had one yeah. in here. One. You had four. I don't know how you did that. Um, this year, this year, commit to this are you going to commit to I'm, I'm, yeah. ne- I'm nearly, f- I'm three quarters of the way through now. Um, and yeah, so three quarters of the way through, it's just been a very, it's been much as I've written, as you know, two and a half books. I call my third book a half book and I'm writing two books right now. Uh, one on a thing, a new, a new thing that I'm building called flow code and, um, and uh, and this business by Becky, um, but uh, sure, it's uh, it's it's much harder than uh, it's much harder than writing a book for adults. Let me put it that way. Mm, damn, might start with the other book then. <laughs> uh, so I knocked out the competition. Yeah, yeah, you did exactly right. You scared me away yeah. already. See what I, I mean? Power of story, man. Power of story. Um, Alan, cognizance of time. Can we take one more question? Sure. Okay. Cool. Hi, my name is Wayne Zwiers from Basalt Technologies. We are a cutting-edge technology business that creates solutions for real-world financial solution problems. Um, my question for you today is, how do you become a leader and maintain leadership and entrepreneurship in business and come home and still maintain that as a husband and a father at home and be a leader at home as well as you could be uh, in the workplace and uh, work environment? Hmm. I'll give you that one, Alan. Okay, one, uh, two words. You can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, so, so for, for me, the, 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 there's two concepts. The one concept, let's call it, uh, of balance, and the other concept of leadership in, in that question. So the question of balance, I don't think any entrepreneur in the startup phase should even have that word in their vocabulary. It should not. It should be banned. In fact, if you when I when I meet entrepreneurs, and as soon as I hear the, the concept of balance anywhere in the in the uh, repertoire, for me, it's uh, it's um, 
it's an out because there's a level of obsession that is required to survive the first couple of years. And if you aren't, don't have a, a level of, uh, of obsession, um, then you have a lower probability. You don't have no chance. You have a lower probability of, of success. Now, there are exceptions to that for, for sure. And there are people with, uh, who are obsessed that don't succeed for sure. But if you look at the, the bell curve on that, it's the ones that are obsessed that is particularly in the beginning years. Once you've established the framework and the machine that, that produces the, the money, and then it's about tweaking that machine and looking out for anything that threatens that machine, you can look to, you can look to, to balance. But um, uh, you, you, can't, you, can't do, you can't do that. Um, the second the second thing that you um, second thing that you uh, need to um, consider is around the thought the thing of the thought of leadership. What what is leadership? Um, sorry, I got distracted. Somebody walked into my office uh, while while I was talking. Even though I got a big sign, "Do not enter outside my office." Um, <laughs> reading, read, reading isn't what it used to be. Leadership, um, so leadership, huh? leadership. <laughs> leadership. So, so leadership. Leadership is, is to me is about looking after the whole bank, but being sensitive to the individual. So, to me, the, the hard and in, in, in a startup business, like I, I've, I've I've battled with understanding a couple of things. In in first of all, I've battled to understand business. Still on that journey. The second thing, the concept of of strategy. What is strategy? I spent eight years obsessed with trying to understand strategy. The third thing is, is around leadership. And what is leadership? Am I a good leader? Am I a bad leader? Do I have to be captain of the team to become a leader of a, 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 a small business? I'm of the view that you don't have to. In fact, quite um, maybe controversial views on that. But for me, leadership, the bottom line is, is your ability to look after the whole at the, at, the, at the cost of the individual but being able to be sensitive to the individual in that process. So if somebody threatens the, the, the whole, so the whole the whole team, no matter what they're in, if they damage the whole, then you make the call to protect the whole. And a lot of entrepreneurs that I see who are building their businesses don't have that ability to look after the whole. They look after the individuals because, because those individuals, they've got loyalty to and they've got a whole bunch of – it's got a built-in um, relationships there. So let me give you a practical example. Somebody was there for you in the beginning. They worked 24 hours a day for you in the beginning. They were there when you got your first big deal, the one that launched you. They were there in the second deal that, that made you even bigger. And then the business grows and grows and grows. And then there is a point in the future where they, they, they are now holding the business back. They have reached their limit within the business. Now, what do you do? So what, what happens out of royalty, very often what people do is they make the mistake and they promote those people. And, and so because you've been around, Matt's been around for, for 10 years. He was there in the beginning. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows like he, so you promote that person and you keep promoting that person until a, po a point where they are not, um, they are not um, functional any, anymore. Now what do you do? And most people then leave those people in the organization. So you either should exit those individuals or keep them to the point where they are happy and you are happy. And my experience has been if you promote somebody beyond their, their capability, you make them unhappy and you damage the business and, and you make you unhappy. Mm. So it's, it's those kind of things that I'm still learning about leadership in, in business. 
Going back to the family um, story, I've learned a phenomenal word, and that is and. You include the family in everything. So my family are involved. I have business dinners where I include my kids in that. I, my wife's involved in, in, in a big part of the business. So it's and. It's not all. It's not versus. Mm. It's and. And that's the way that I've navigated that. That's an amazing, amazing point. Uh, my wife actually works with me. Um, that's a new one. Um, she resigned from her corporate job from a big bank. And um, yeah, and then COVID happened. She was going to do consulting and stuff. I was like, well, look, I mean, I could use you now. So she basically works with me. Um, and I will say that it actually, like, don't work in the same room. That's a big no-no. <laughs> like, if you're going to work in the same business, don't work in the same room. That's a bad idea. Um, especially when you have a a type personality like me, um, so uh, but certainly bring them in. Like I think it's it's really done wonders for for our communication, our trust together. Um, I, I love uh, Romeo's hijacking uh, the Zoom call. <laughs> Let me meet this guy. Hold on. Um, uh, but the one thing I'll actually disagree with Alan on one thing you said earlier that you hate working from home. Um, and I actually prefer it. I don't like going into the office and it's only cause I have young two, two young kids. I get to see them. Um, uh, yes, it's disruptive, but I don't mind it. I think about all the time that I wouldn't have with them. Um, and so thanks to COVID, one of the big question marks is, well, what is this going to have now? on society and culturally, you know, forget business. What's it going to have the impact be on, on our culture? You know, what stigmas is it going to create? Um, and I spoke to a, a software vendor company this morning, the CEO, and um, he's, he was like, I ain't going back. He's like, I don't want it to go back to the way that it was. Um, and I think there's, and to Elon's point, it's like, what is the, what are the opportunities now in this new unusual like the business unusual space that we're inheriting um so for me uh, i think one thing wayne that i've learned is t- is to be present like if you're at home be at home uh don't try and not take phone calls because like it just doesn't work out every time i try to cut corners and i love doing that sometimes um it never works out for me it causes so much friction and my kids see me on the phone, you know, and then I think about how they're reacting and how, what are they saying? Is dad not, is he not, does he not care about me? And so, you know, as a parent, uh, there's no rule book with this stuff. So I think you have to, you know, bring them in, include them where you can, like especially uh, at a wife engagement level, I suppose, and when your kids can. Um, Alan, I've got, sorry, man, I've got more questions coming through here late. This one's from Zark Lebatlang. Uh, he says here, um, where are you now? Okay. How do we stimulate entrepreneurship and innovation culture in university graduates and students? We spoke at University of Witz once. You want to take a stab at that? Yeah. That, to, to me, the, the real issue, you know, I, I speak, as you say, I speak a lot and I speak uh, to, to many audiences. And one of the hardest audiences for me is the university audience especially uh, undergrad or audience. And the reason for, for, for that is there is no, there's no uh, context. So you, you're, in a, you're in a hypothetical world, an academic theoretical world, and then some dude comes in and tells you a story and you go, well, like, yeah, you, there's no, you can't relate. 
So for me, the way that I would, if if I one of one of my here's a, a bit of um, um, name dropping and bra- bragging to going to happen. I, I used to be on the Global Future Council for the World Economic Forum on entrepreneurship and um, and education, and I, we had the dean of uh, Oxford in in our group. And we, we were tasked with trying to design, this was many years ago, uh, trying to design the university of the future. How would that be? You know, how would that look? And a big part of the, the issue that universities have is the lack of practicality, that, that these are theoretical things, but they don't practically align to the world and how the world really operates because they're modeled, they're summaries, they are averages of what happens. They're not what happens on the, on, on the ground. So to me, a big part of what I would say in a university would be to bring practicality in by exposing by experience. And then you have relativity. The problem is that, you know, how do you balance that with all these exams that you have to get through and get through these textbooks and these tomes of information about models? Um, How do you manage the two? So one has to give and to me, I, 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 you know, from, from a point of view as of a father of a kid that will go to university at some point in the future, for, for me, the theory is important as a basis, but maybe in, in the second and third year, it becomes far more practical. So get the basis and go. But having said that, there is no way I want to fly in a plane where the, the, the engineer who designed the plane you know, got a D. <laughs> I, want that, I want that guy to get, have got an A. <laughs> He needs to know about metal fatigue, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's that it, it also depends on, on context as well. In engineering, just you want to know those formulae. So I've got a funny joke to share with you. Are you ready? I see you sitting down, yeah. so I'll share with it. So, so basically, I saw it on Facebook. So it's like it's a mom. So she posts on Facebook. She goes, hi, uh, my daughter um, uh, is a millennial and is looking for a job. She'll take anything... CEO and above. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. I employ loads of millennials. It's tough, man. It's really mm. tough because they ain't got no clue and they think they do. Uh, so you have to be, to your point around leadership, it's like being, you have to be super empathetic, right? Um, around. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to be controversial? One last please, piece of controversy. Please love you, controversy. Man. Mav, this is the footnote in the beginning. Okay. I don't believe in the concept of millennials. I've done. I, I've written an article. I got. I got into. Uh, I got into a whole bunch of people interviewed me all over TV because I wrote wrote this article that I don't believe in millennials. If you research millennials, you see the definition of millennials. Depends which country you're talking about. It can be right up to 30, 30 something. Depends when it is. And then who is a millennial? Does a millennial that lives in a, in, in a poverty stricken environment? Act and and think and behave in the same way as one in 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 New York. Does a New York millennial act in the same way that that one does in in maybe on an island just off New Zealand? Like it, it, there's no such thing. I think that this is about youth. I think the youth are idealistic. Youth. I, I also was uh, idealistic. I was. Uh, uh, I wanted to learn as I wanted to jump around just to learn as much as I could. Like I don't, I think I think it's I think it's a, it's a, a lot of hogwash that's been sold to us by marketers 
who needs a new category and says, oh, let me teach you about uh, these guys called millennials or generation X or generation Y or generation whatever. These are, these are social discourses that have been repackaged by, by uh, marketers and, and, and sold, resold to us. But um, anyway, I'll leave it there. So basically you disagree with everything that Simon Sinek says. Why? <laughs> Does I'm he just, think about millennials? Oh, dude, no, I, don't think, the, I don't think so. I think he's just bought into, I don't disagree with, I agree with a lot of what Simon Sinek says, but I don't agree with the concept. If you go, go seriously, go Google, just go Google definition of millennial and you will see how many different 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 definitions there are out there and the controversy around the statistics around the mobility and all that and it's re- been repackaged and then I had a, I had on my TV show I had a 20 something year old guy who was a, a millennial specialist was posed himself as a millennial specialist and I said and as in the break I said to him how do you become a millennial specialist no he went to a conference in he went to a conference in Belgium or some obscure place on millennials he went and sat in the audience on on that came back he ran a marketing business and 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 so now he's an expert on on millennials come on that's bullshit no come on I'm not fine can't swear on Facebook, Alon. Damn, I should oh, tell you. Oh, no, no, but, yes, but yes. I, I agree. Okay, I, I am going to agree with you then as well, just because it's the last question and I need to wrap up. I'm sorry I overran. <laughs> we always do this though. We know what, next time you come on here, we're just booking an hour and a half because that's how long it takes. Um, okay, cool, guys. Thank you so much for your question. Mabuso, your book is, uh, this here book is in the mail. Uh, thank you for our online audience for checking in. I, th- I think Craig. I think Craig. I think Craig. Craig's question was the best question. <sighs> I'll, I'll, I've got one. I'll give another one. I'll no, give. No, no, you no. Show me no. Trying to find Craig, and we'll give Craig <laughs> one from mine. Okay, fine. Okay. Done, done. But isn't Mabuso part of Racecorp? Is he in your program? No, 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 no. I don't think so. No, he was a guy who came on in the beginning and was hijacking yeah. us before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never a dull moment uh, Craig Collins dude a book is on its way to you and last but not least uh, thank you to Alan dude it's always really a privilege and honor to have you on the show and just to box intellectually and to kind of get your views on record so thank you once again for, for being here absolute pleasure mate love, to, lo- love being on your show cool guys on the Matt Brown show the <laughs> yeah. best show the best show on the net the best show on the net in, in the world cheers guys thanks for listening to the map round show guys don't forget you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates news and a show history so if you've been catching this on the podcast please head on over to our youtube channel and pound that subscribe button it would be great to catch the video version there and if you want a free copy of my number one amazon best-selling book your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients 
clients. Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com. 